Welcome to the podcast series from the Voices in Leadership webcast conversations at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. You may also watch a video of this event at www.hsph.me voices. Good afternoon and welcome to Voices in Leadership. My name is Eric Anderson, the Deputy Director of this program, and I have the privilege of introducing our distinguished guest today. Kakenya Natai's life was supposed to follow a traditional path. Engaged at age five, the expectation was that as a young teenager, she would then leave school and marry. But Kakenya had a different plan. She negotiated with her father to undergo female genital mutilation only if she could go back to school. Then she negotiated with the village elders to do what no girl had ever done, leave her Maasai village to go to college in the United States, promising to use her education to benefit the community. She went on to earn her PhD in education. Kakenya is now fulfilling her promise to her community. In 2009, she founded Kakenya's Dream, an international nonprofit organization leveraging education to empower vulnerable girls and uplift rural communities in Kenya. Today, Kakenya's Dream is transforming communities, changing social norms, and empowering thousands of girls through its three programs, the All-Girls Center for Excellence Boarding Schools, Health and Leadership Trainings, and the Network for Excellence, which supports boarding school alumni as they continue their education in high school and beyond. Kakenya has received many international awards, including being named a top 10 CNN hero in 2013. Her TED Talk has had over two and a half million views. <clears throat> it is particularly appropriate that we host Kakenya today on International Women's Day. Before I turn this discussion over to our moderator, Professor Anna Longer, please join me as we welcome Kakenya Nataya to the Voices in Leadership series at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Thank you. <laughs> happy International Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day. I would love to start on that happy note. <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Your story is so inspiring and so important, and all of us have so much to learn from you. Uh, I would like to ask you a few questions. One of them uh, is I was very impressed uh, when I read that you had engaged in that successful negotiation with your father when you were a young teenager. Uh, and uh, I, I was curious about the factors that uh, empowered you, that enabled you uh, to make that negotiation successful. What do you think helped you? I'm really glad to be here today, especially in this very important day, International Women's Day, when events like this, uh, um, events like this one are being held all over the world by women and men who are both celebrating women's equality and assessing the progress and setbacks. Um, I think all over the world, these events are both so substantive and also cultural. And I think as all of you know, today, McDonald uh, moved their logo upside down uh, from an <laughs> M to a W. <laughs> um, and uh, I just want to say I'm really privileged again to be here at Harvard uh, School of Public uh, Health. Um, where as you, uh, as students, uh, can indeed help uh, make the world a better place. Uh, everybody knows if you've been to Harvard, you're a leader, and I'm really grateful to be here. Um, and I want to thank your dean, um, Dr. Michelle William, uh, who is a, a strong African-American woman and can help build bridges among various communities here in the U.S. and around the world. Um, and I just want to let you know that tonight <laughs> I would also be giving a speech at Wellesley College as uh, head by um, a strong African-American woman, uh, 
I think, uh, has some association with Harvard, Dr. Paula Johnson. <laughs> um, and uh, it is the first African con uh, Women African Conference that uh, is being sponsored by um, um, MasterCAD. I'm really grateful, again, and to having this conversation with you. I know you've been in the forefront, uh, in the, you're a leader in the NGO world with your work in, in gender health. Um, and um, I think the questions you ask me and the discussions we'll have here today uh, truly reflects um, the, the power and the need to have a strong local um, NGOs that really transform the situation for women in throughout the whole world. So uh, to answer your question, <laughs> I think, you know, I always go back to that very moment that, um, you know, approaching my dad and I think, you know, I didn't know then that I was actually courageous. I think over time I now realize that was very courageous of uh, myself being 12 years old, approaching my dad um, and telling him that I want to go back to school. Uh, what was, uh, I think for me, the thing that was driving me is that I had gone to school and I saw that uh, female teachers, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had a picture of a female teacher who dressed nicely, um, who, you know, was riding on the board. And I also had a, uh, a picture of my mother who um, was very hardworking, you know, I helped her in the farm and the life was very difficult for her. Mm -hmm. So I think really when you go back to like, you know, what was driving me is that I was focusing on the dream and looking at the picture of a teacher mm -hmm. and looking at also the picture of my mother and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna go for the teacher's picture. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, wonderful. So uh, when you had to choose among different fields of study, uh, what uh, made you decide uh, to go after uh, higher education in education? I mean, you could, could have studied health, you could have studied development. Why did you think that education was the best way to improve the lives of girls and women in Africa and elsewhere? So from an age of a young age, I mean, it, I think it all goes back to that dream of being a teacher. <laughs> and uh, I think my initial dream was to uh, be in a class and teach in a class and really impact the life of kids in a classroom. Uh, but when I got an opportunity to study uh, at Randolph-Macon Women's College in Lynchburg, Virginia, I was actually coming, at that time I had grown my dream to, I actually wanted to study economics um, and banking and I wanted to have a lot of money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when I reached there, uh, the whole world kind of opened up for me where for the very first time I took a class on political science, I took a class on international relations, I was learning about human rights, I was learning about female genital cutting, I was learning about the, the right for girls to be in school, um, and you know, you know, I was learning about uh, gender-based violence and sexual violence, and kind of like everything that I went through and saw in my village was in the textbooks. Mm -hmm. So my first degree was actually in international, rela you know, international relations and political science. And as I got off college, I got an opportunity to work for United Nations Population Fund, mm -hmm. uh, which was really at a big scale where I really got to amplify my voice to talk about the issues that affect girls. and and also to go further in terms of like raising the awareness that the young people need to be at the table uh, because most often we advocate for young people but we actually don't bring them on the table. 
Um, so through all that, I think, you know, I was really struck by um, the government of Kenya at that time had, uh, you know, opened up this, you know, law, like it's free primary education. And it was like everywhere we go in the world, we're talking about free primary education, compulsory primary education. And when I went back to my village, um, I mean, that free primary education was really not making a difference. Mm -hmm. It was uh, crowding the classrooms. Uh, so you'll find one teacher with 70 students. Uh, you would not find any learning materials. And you end up um, uh, foregoing the quality of education. So you find out that girls, when they're in those situations, they are mostly uh, marginalized and left out because they are not the ones who are raising their hands, they are the boys who are raising their hands. So I was really driven by the fact that I knew education had made a difference in my life and that I was um, living well and doing well and I was speaking and I felt that there was a gap mm -hmm. that needed to be felt. And so going back to doing my PhD in education was really to find out how can we create policies and how can we create programs that actually truly empowers children? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was good to be in a class with principals, to be in a class where we talked about what approaches do you want to use. And it was just to learn about the whole world where there's so much disconnect between saying, you know, compulsory education and actually seeing how that education affects people. So I was more driven with how do you really create, um, how do you make education truly empower kids? Mm -hmm. And what do you need? Is it a classroom? Is it teachers? Is it books? What do you really need? And that's what really uh, drove me to going to work on my <laughs> PhD. Well, we are yes. all very grateful <laughs> Thank you. you did it Thank because you. as a result of that and your other experiences, uh, you established the Kakenia's Foundation, mm -hmm. Kakenia's Dream Foundation, and, and I learned that uh, you have three programs, right? Uh, so how do these three areas of focus complement each other? Uh, what lessons have you learned so far? The foundation is very young, but yes. still, in the last three or four years uh, from that experience. And I, I wonder if there is something you would have done differently or something that, uh, well, uh, maybe choosing one pro a different program instead of one that you currently have. Uh, what are your, uh, your conclusion, pre preliminary conclusions so far? So all the programs that uh, we have, um, it's not that we sat down and came up with a business plan and <laughs> a strategic plan, and which is great to have. But you know, I went to get a PhD in education, so business is not my field. But I think what I, I, I realized is that um, when I started the school, I was actually still a student at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and at that time, I. I only had friends and I didn't really have, I didn't have an organization that existed and I wanted to change the life of kids. I, I was tired actually seeing girls get mutilated, seeing girls getting married. I was tired of seeing that. Mm -hmm. And so I remember telling my professor I'm going to start a school, but you know, my goal was to start with 10 girls. Um, but when I arrived, a hundred girls came. And so you, you think that, okay, uh, your plan of 10 uh, became yes. my plan of 30. Um, and what I learned that day is that as I took, as we took 30 girls, 70 girls went back home. Mm -hmm. What happens to them? And I met them, I knew them. 
and you couldn't just let go. And so the other program that came from that was like, okay, I, it was more a drive for us to reach more girls because mm -hmm. we knew that we really wanted to focus on a specific small group of girls to give them all that we can to ensure that they become the thriving leaders in the society. But we always thought about the ones that have gone. So we started the program where we go into schools and we train because I knew that if you provide people information, they can make the right decisions. Mm. So we started going to schools and talking about FGM. We started talking with girls and then all of a sudden we found ourselves talking with boys too. So the program is targeting both boys and girls. And and then we, as we grew out girls, they started going to high school. We realized we didn't have a high school. You can't just drop them, you know. Our program is not girls come to school and then you find your yes. way to high school and college and all. We are truly invested in them until that time they fly out and become leaders. So we, it's all our programs are interconnected and the, they, we've really grown with the girls. We've learned over the years that um, you really, it's, you have to be patient um, and you have to be persistent and you can't just say, this is the end of it. Uh, I think f to truly empower a girl or a woman, you really have to focus on a holistic program and you know, yes, we need uniform, yes, we need food, but yes, she does need to learn about self-defense so that she can defend herself when she's going to collect firewood. And she, yes, she needs to um, have a teacher who believes in her, and yes, she needs to know that I have a dream. And yes, if I want to become a, a politician or a member of parliament or uh, a, you know, a banker, it's possible. So y you can't just silo yourself into one saying that my true work is in the classroom. You cannot achieve everything if you cannot follow the girl, including her family, being part mm -hmm. of her empowerment. So that's what all the program are very interconnected. It's all about, we, we, we are the very fast in the very rural place. So we were chatting a very <laughs> uncharted grounds, pushing traditions and boundaries, and we learned along the way. Um, and I think if you ask if they're, you know, I, I, I've, I've really never, like every single part, I, I, I embrace it. I reach out to people to help me, guide me. And I'm happy where we are and where we're going. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yes. So now that you mentioned boys, another question I had for you is whether you work uh, with boys and men and girls and women differently. What are the approaches you use to achieve those goals? Because, uh, well, obviously men are very important to achieve women's equality, and you said it at the beginning, uh, but in the case of a female genital mutilation, we also know that uh, women are very often uh, the, the, the people who perpetuated, uh, perpetuate the practice in the family. So do you use different messaging? Do you use uh, different, plat uh, I don't know, approaches, platforms uh, to uh, work with men and women or girls and boys? We use one single recipe, a girl. We, we educate a girl and through educating a girl, we reach out to the father, we reach out to the boys, we reach out to everybody in a circle. Mm -hmm. um, and for us, it's really been an, in, you know, we, we look at, we looked at, you know, when you look at all the, some programs that are out there that target female genital cutting, it's all about let's rescue. It's not about prevention. It's not about let's talk to the fathers. It's not about let's bring the mothers on the table. Um, in my community, we don't talk about FGM publicly, uh, mm -hmm. but because of the girls, we were able to bring the parents into one room, both mothers and fathers, and we discuss what will prevent this girl from continuing to school. The first thing that comes out is FGM. Oh. 
and that becomes an opening space that we can talk about FGM and talk about the effects uh, of FGM. <coughs> we can relate to women uh, having difficulties during uh, birth, and that's something women have already experienced. Mm -hmm. um, and when we talk about, we're always thinking that you know it's the women who actually do it, but true sense is that where does power lies? Mm -hmm. yeah. Who is the true holder of power? <coughs> it's the men. Yes. And if a father, and we've, this has been a true testament in our program, when the father says no, we know guaranteed that girl who is in our school cannot go through FGM, and the girl that is behind her and behind her and behind her will not go through FGM. Mm -hmm. When the mother says no, yeah. and the father, you will find that they will all practice. So the true holders, yes, the women cut, but who really holds yes. the power? That's where you should always dwell. And the message for us is not about condemning, it's about empowering. And we focus on the positive. If the girls get cut, they will get married. But when the girls don't get married, they cut, they will not get married, they'll go and to they school, and they will continue with their education. So that's, that's our approach. Yes, well, so smart. So, can you please mention some role models you have during your journey? Who were the people who inspired you most in your personal life, in your professional life, in your studies? Who do you go to when you face a challenge? Wow, that's a good question. I have a village <laughs> um, of women <laughs> around me, uh, maybe a few men, uh, but a lot of women. Uh, I think my first inspiration is really my mother, um, who every step of the way, um, she really truly supported me, um, making sure that after I went through female genital cutting, she brought a nurse, she made sure that I went back to school. That was a moment that I think without her, I would probably had infection and died. Um, and to look at um, her life, which was so difficult, living in a rural community, trying to make ends meet and having a very abusive father, but she stayed with us. So she has the, the strength that, you know, I, I rely on every day and saying that my mother, you know, she made me who I am and I truly, I truly, really, she's my role model. I have so many other, I can tell you from uh, Sarah Craven, my very first boss at <laughs> the UNFPA, <laughs> to Kathy Bonk, to Vicky Sand, to uh, Remy, I mean, my college friends. I can name a whole book of women that actually <laughs> have really t supported me. But I think what I have also learned is that uh, where my, um, where I stay focused, where my strength and my, my, um, that ground that where I stand on is truly the stories of my girls. Um, I, when I see the girls that come through my school and, and who, you know, they were at risk of being cut and some come and run to me and say, I just want an education. And to see the determination in their eyes, mm -hmm. I mean, there's no power like that. It just transforms me and it wakes me up every morning and I draw strength from them. and. Truly, they inspire me because I know that what I've seen through them, the future of Kenya is better. Mm -hmm. Yes. So. Oh, thank you. Yes, thank thank you. you. That's very, very uh, strong. 
So I know that you don't only work with families, but also with communities. Is the message of education the same one you use with uh, the communities when you engage in a dialogue with the community? How does that happen? <laughs> really depends on who you're talking to. I can give you an example of, um, it's very important to have the community to be part of everything that, I mean, for us, our program thrives because the community owns it, the community supports it, they are part of it. Um, that includes the chief who, um, at first, he didn't know what to do with a woman who is trying to build a school. Um, to some of the men was like, a woman has never built a school. Uh, to them running away and say, this is a woman's project. Uh, and to turn that to now um, them being so proud of what we have achieved and seeing the, the successes that we have. Um, I think the biggest thing that I learned earlier on is the importance of those uh, um, gatekeepers, the, 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 the custodians of the culture, and that for sure are the chief and the elders who are always part of it. So I'll call the meeting and they will come most of the time 100% men, uh, and I will turn the conversation to being this is their idea, and that going forward they will be singing my message that it's their message. So they own it and it's they run with it and How do to me that? I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's um I I mean because I grew up in the village I knew what they want. They want power. They want to own. They want to be recognized. So it's okay to run a program and have a chief run the whole be an MCA. I mean, it doesn't cost me anything. Just come and talk. So <laughs> it's that's their role. That's what uh -huh. they do. So you can tell them not to be part of that because that's where they thrive. So just give them the message, and then they will thrive with it. Just use what they they know already. <laughs> Just change your message. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's so it. incredibly smart. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, do you also work uh, with other groups, other NGOs uh, that do similar work? Are there any uh, in Kenya or in other parts of the of Africa or the world where, where female genital cutting is a big issue? Well, uh, I look at our work as part of a global movement. Um, we, you can never be alone. Uh, it's, it doesn't, I mean, you, you can't do much alone. Uh, so we are part of groups like the Girls Not Bride, which is really the big advocate on uh, child marriage. Uh, we work with um, um, the Girl Generation, which is really focusing on FGM. Uh, we have lots of uh, local networks within our country that uh, are focusing on, you know, meetings that we work together. So you really have to always be part of the bigger, uh, we're guided by, you know, the, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. We are guided by uh, the African Union um, uh, framework. So you really have to look at, you know, these are the global ones, but how do you translate that to come to your local? So we are part of a bigger movement. We're not just educating a few girls, but we are transforming Kenya and the world through mm -hmm. education and, and really linking ourselves up. You can't be a silo uh, in, mm -hmm. in doing, changing this kind of uh, practices that we do. Absolutely. And how are you uh, measuring your uh, success? Are you measuring it through retention of girls in school, uh, to uh, what girls do after uh, they finish uh, at your school, if that has already happened, I don't have a clear sense of that, considering how young mm -hmm. the Kakenya's Dream Foundation uh, is. 
uh, what, what are your uh, main measures of success? I love that question because that's a true professor talking. <laughs> Evaluation. <laughs> exactly. And that was a good one. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, we, we, I think one of the things that I've struggled with is really how do you measure true impact in a girl's life? Uh, do you measure by her finishing school? That's great, she could finish school. But how do you measure empowerment? Mm-hmm. How do you measure empowerment? It's difficult. It's very difficult. So I, I yes, we use the traditional methods, you know, retention, our success rate in terms of, you know, 100% of our girls have not gone through female genital cutting. Uh, 100% of them have not gone through uh, marriages. Uh, we have the very first cohort of our girls are finishing high school and continuing to university. Um, we, we have those normal yeah. ways of measurement. But I think, you know, the biggest question and I challenge the people of Harvard to come up with a formula of how do you truly measure empowerment? It's not, I mean, there's something within a girl that is empowered that you can never really measure. Mm-hmm. She can be speaking up, but you can't really put a, a metrics yeah. on what equals to that girl who raises the hand in class and say, I want to answer, or that girl who says, no, I will not go to FG, uh, through FGM. What is the measurement for that? So I look forward to getting, to finding some metrics <laughs> for that, for that, truly. The yes. smiles they have, the food that changes the way their skin and their hair, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, so I'm looking many, forward to that. So many signs. Yes. That's wonderful. Uh, so, uh, if to wrap up, uh, I have a question about your hopes and dreams uh, for uh, the, the foundation, uh, for Kenya, and uh, well, basically for the world, for girls around the globe. What are those big hopes and dreams? My, I think I have one, one hope. One hope is really where I want to see a world where both girls and boys are treated equally. I want to see a world where girls, you know, there's no, we don't talk about FGM anymore. Um, I want to talk, I want to see a world where women are truly, truly empowered to be leaders and not judge. And this is not just an African thing. It's not just a village thing. It's really something that um, it's an Africa, it's a global thing. Because if you look at it uh, globally, one in three women um, globally are affected by gender-based violence or sexual yes. um, violence. And that is, you know, it's, it's, it just drains women and, and it puts us in a place that we are not that. We are powerful. We are, we are the change makers and we are, we are the future and we are the present and we are the past. And I think seeing a world where we are treated equal and given the same opportunities and given the same pay, um, truly that's what I look for. And that my goal is always to work with my girls, but hopefully that translates to Kenya, to East Africa, to Africa as a whole, as a continent, and to the world. That's my true, and of course I can't forget this, my girl being a president of Kenya. Yes. That I look forward to. <laughs> we want that. We would vote we for want her. that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Are you optimistic? Do you think we are moving in the right direction? As a global community, I mean. I think we are. I think we are. Um, there are setbacks, but I think those setbacks is really a reminder of how we can stop, but how to 
keep pushing forward as this year you know we are pressing for progress and we are going to press for progress and it's time for women to just keep pushing forward until we get there and we want the men to be part of that mm -hmm. truly be part of that yes yes thank you that's really wonderful thank you uh, any final thought uh, that you would like to share with us I mean, I'm really privileged again to and honored to be here because I think, you know, everywhere I've been, whether in Kenya, you have a very strong network of Harvard alumni <laughs> there uh, who some of them are part of uh, my board in Kenya. Uh, truly appreciate, you know, the opportunity to be here to speak today. And it's important because it's the, the, the International Women's Day uh, and it's just for us to remember about the future. And I want to challenge the students in the audience that, you know, it's time to not wait, but to act on and really go for your dreams. It's possible. You are in the great place that you can get the mentors, the right tools, everything you need is here, including finding the right evaluation tools for your program <laughs> and your strategic plan and all of that. So <laughs> you, you have no excuse not to be a leader. <laughs> so keep up and uh, thank you for everything. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. This has been a Voices in Leadership production at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. You can find the complete video of the event at www.hsph.me voices. We encourage you to share Voices in Leadership.